Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 163, recorded April 13th, 2014. Right. I just got two words, or a few words. Yes. For this episode. My name is God. Yes. Yes, indeed it is. So we get the detailed backstory of one of Star Trek's greatest villains, Khan. And we may get that answer that every fanboy had when they saw that trailer. Ah. Or when they made that exactly. announcement in the movie. Yes. And that would be? How, how did a Indian, a Span, Spanish person supposed to be Indian person now look like a Brit English person? With blue eyes, yes. And very fair skin. How did that happen? He's not even trying. That's right. But you won't find out in these three issues. But yeah, maybe... But we get some hints. Get some hints. Maybe in the fourth and fifth. Right. I'm going so we'll to predict the... in the fourth, but let's find out. I haven't yeah, read so, him yet. Well, the fourth and fifth. We, we can talk about our theories when we okay. get there. Because I haven't read the fourth or the fifth yet. Right. So I, I am literally in the dark. Yes. But but they do pepper some some hints in the the first three issues. Oh, really? I'd like to know what they are. I didn't notice them. Well, what when is it fair to say how Noonien is presented? Looks wise, yeah, um, at the beginning, well, for the most part, it's pretty much Ricardo Montalban. Appearance wise, consistent with who he should be, who is somebody from India. So. Right. Then that makes perfect sense. Although I got to say, when he was really young, he almost looks like a Negro kid in some of the, um, you know, with his hair and stuff. But, I mean, he's pretty much Ricardo Montalban. And especially when he gets towards the, the you know, when he grows up and he got the, third, the, the second and third issues. He, he, especially the last one, he does look like Ricardo Montalban. Right, yeah, especially in the third issue when he's actually wearing the, well, he's, he's wearing garments that look very similar to what he wore in space exactly right so he looks he looks exactly like like that version exactly so that's definitely how they should be doing this so doff of the hat so i was very happy that they 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 the writers kept in line with you know what happened or what was supposed to happen before space seed is what should have happened before um star trek into darkness so I was yeah, happy. Very consistent with the original Taws episode and several references they made during that show explaining this period of Earth's history, which really now is Earth's history, <laughs> at least part of it. Yeah, this comes to the, the squishy part of science fiction when real life has surpassed events that were supposed to happen in the fictional world when at the time when those were written were the future. You yeah. know what I mean? Mid-60s. So. Hey, 1992 was a long time to come. That's way in the future. Well, we passed that by quite a bit. So, Right. So there was no eugenic war. So how, how do you explain that? Right. Now, uh, there was a set of novels called The Rise of Noonien Singh yes. from um, 
uh, who wrote those? Greg Cox? Maybe? No, it is no. Greg Cox. Okay. Yeah, I was I was going right. to talk about this in the third issue. After right. the third one. But I just I just like how he wrote them that the the eugenic war was you know kind of a covert war cuz he wrote them after the events were supposed to have happened too. So he kind of wrote them as they did happen, but they weren't just on the you know, they weren't in the news every day. Well, Whereas the events in this story, they they could not have hit, there was no way to hide what, what happened in well, these three issues. Well, and there were parts of it that were covert in the in, in, well, I'm in Greg Cox's book, but no, no, you're completely right about what you're saying about these comics. But in Greg Cox's book, Khan took over stuff, <laughs> so uh, I don't know that all of it was that uh, covert. At least it, later, but right, so, wait, yeah. All right, well, we'll talk about it. When, I don't want to spoil things, so let's talk about it later. Yeah, let's and, do that. And you can refresh my memory on, on the con book, because I, maybe I'm misremembering, but I, I thought that it was more. Covert. Yeah. And parts of it was. All right. But, okay, so uh, three cool issues, giving lots of cool details and lots of nods to the original Space Seed episode. So. Uh, and a lot of nice nods to Taz in general. There was a couple other ones that I thought were pretty Exactly. Cool. Yes, and even the opening pages of issue one in the courtroom. Exactly. Okay. All right, well, you want to get started? All right, so Con number one, produced by IDW, came out October 2013. Writer was Mike Johnson, story consultant Roberto Orki. Pencils and inks for the present day part is David Mencia. Pencils for the flashback parts were Claudia Balboni. Inks in the flashback parts were Marina Castaverto with supervision by Claudia Baldoni. Colors by Claudia Scarlagathia. Letters by Neil Utaki. And edits by Sarah GLaDOS. Alright, so the cover shows a painting from... The cover is a painting of Khan in the J.J. Abrams Into Darkness variation. It's a close-up of his face, and then there's also a shot of him running with his leather jacket flapping in the wind, as we saw in the final scenes of Into Darkness. Also, there is a depiction of a DNA double helix in the foreground. Cover R.I. is a drawing of Khan walking towards the reader, and behind him are shots of the human nervous system, brain scans, and we see some neurons firing. And then there's the photo cover, which is just... Benedict Cumberbatch from Into Darkness. So the story starts at the beginning of a court hearing. Prosecutor Coogley, Kirk, and Spock are leading the charge against Khan. This all happens after the events of Into Darkness. Kirk has the opening statements, and he questions Khan about who he is since he looks nothing like Ricardo Montalban. And he actually pulls up a picture which shows the Space Seed version of Khan. Khan then tells him that they cannot handle the truth in very dramatic fashion. When further questioned, Khan relents and starts to tail his tale. Flashback to 1970 Earth. The city is New Delhi. Several kids are picking on a girl who is trying to play with her pet rat when some gas grenades land nearby them. The smoke from the canisters soon knock out all the children. And then we can see them being put into bags and zipped up. Three months later in New York, a man is having a meeting with three other men. 
he is talking about his plans to create super soldiers by genetically modifying humans, as opposed to breeding them. He then tells them that the work is already well in progress. Elsewhere, in a huge gymnasium of some sort, children are playing with basketballs. One is a young boy missing his right leg at the knee. Another child tries to take his crutch. The crippled boy allows the other kid to get in close and deliver a punch to his head. Then he springs on the kid and beats him to death with his crutch. Watching all this from another room, the man from the meeting earlier states that they have found their first test subject. Nine months later, the boy arrives into the man's office with two fully functional legs. The boy identifies himself as Noonien Singh. The man shows Noonien an advanced computer for 1972 standards. Noonien is transfixed by this source of possible data. Eight years pass. Noonien is only the first of hundreds of super kids. Over the years, they have expanded their minds and physical prowess. Noonien even learns that he can regenerate quickly by purposely stabbing himself just to find out what would happen. In the hospital, while he's recouping from his stabbing, Noonien logs into the computer as the organizational leader, G. Hessen. It is not stated what he's doing with this level of access. The next morning, the nurse comes into Noonien's room to find a hole near his bed. They then discover that the young man tunneled out of the complex with just his bare hands. Outside of the compound, Noonien pulls himself out of the sand. As he's dusting himself off, a helicopter arrives. Hessen tells Noonien that the kids all have transmitters in their skull. To illustrate this, he turns Noonien's on. Soon the young man is on the ground in extreme pain. Flash forward another six years. Hessen is in a meeting when suddenly the video conference is cut out and replaced with Noonien's face. Noonien tells Hessen to join him in the courtyard. Once he arrives at the courtyard, Hessen finds that all the other children are there. Noonien hands him a box, and when Hessen looks into it, he is shocked to find all the transmitters. Noonien tells him that they all surgically removed them themselves. He then crushes Hessen's skull with his own hands and tells his brothers and sisters that their time for taking over the world has begun. To be continued. Yeah, it's a very cool ending. Very messy ending. With the old head crushing? Exactly, the old head crushing routine. Right, and here we thought that uh, Marcus and Spock were the only ones to be... Crushed. The recipient of the crush. Exactly, but this is the uh, the Noonian crush that will become the Khan crush later. Right, so... Yeah, he, he's definitely not Khan yet. No. He, which I always thought that was his birth name, so I guess it's kind of interesting that it wasn't. Yeah, yeah so it's some kind of title, right? Like King, whatever, or Guy with High Authority, or something. Khan. I thought he just took the name because of the Genghis Khan references. Well, I think even Genghis Khan. I think Khan is like King or something, or you know, it's a title. I think. Uh, I didn't look it up, I but I, I think that's what it is. Yeah, so I thought when he opened the box and saw all the transmitters in there, number or neural inhibitors. I thought, number one, that was very cool. And number two, come on. You guys did brain surgery on each other. And you never showed the fact that, oh, my head shaved. And somebody cut a, <laughs> cut a hole in my uh, skull, you know, to be able right. to get in there. Really? 
and nobody had any indications of anything. They all look perfect. And that's fine if they did the actual operations like months ago, so they healed. But in the meantime, it's like, ah, I don't know, ah, whatever. Right. Yeah, and couldn't you, I mean, I thought that you could, these, these things were also trackers, right? So, I mean, they could never notice that all these things turned off or they're always there you all go. right there together in the same yep. room. So yeah, there's tons of things that they, they being the administrators, should have realized something was wrong. Right, and you could say, well, maybe they don't transmit them when they're in the compound, but I would think even then it would be handy to know exactly where they are. Yeah, right. but uh, yeah, whatever. L- little nits, that's fine. Whatever. Overall, very good story. I love being able to fill in details. But not just for the sake of filling in details. I mean, this is this is a good story. This is a good storytelling. I'm enjoying it. Right. So now the Hessen character, the administrator, mm-hmm. are we supposed to know who he is? I don't think so. They don't even give his name until halfway through the book. I don't think so. I'm a hundred percent sure he was never mentioned in Spacey. <laughs> um, right. And I was too. But I just thought it was weird that they went so long without ever giving his name. He's just the the administrator with the the beard. Right. So, anyways, okay, well, I thought, well, maybe I was missing something, but I didn't think I was. So, how'd you like uh, how Samuel T. Cogley was drawn? He looked just like the the actor who played him. I thought it was really good. Exactly. Elisha Cook Jr. I had to look that up. (laughs) I was going to look it up and say that it was was nice that J.J. Abrams hired him back to revise the role. (laughs) uh, I think the guy's dead, isn't he? I don't, I don't know. know. He would be pretty but, old right now if he was uh, still about. But yeah, I just I really liked how it was the same guy. You you knew just oh, looking right at away. Him, oh, that guy looks familiar. exactly, and it's like oh, that's the guy in court martial or and then yeah, and then that's when I jumped on the interwebs and looked right. at it. Yeah, no, I thought that was yeah. awesome. Now the thing about it though is in the reboot universe. This is the first time that I'm aware of, correct me if I'm wrong, that you see somebody from the Taws time frame actually look like they, in the reboot universe, the way they did in the original Taws universe. Now, now of course, Spock does, but he came back through time, or uh, across dimensions, in the, uh, through the black hole thingy. Right. Now, the only... I thought that uh, Gary looked a little bit like the actor. Uh, yeah. And from Where No Man Has Gone Before. Oh, Mitchell. Mitchell. Right, right. okay, good point. He looks, actually, he looked, not in all the comics, but he, in many places, he did look exactly like the original actor. Okay, there. Okay, so there was a precedent in the past. Right. And I guess not that you mentioned it, maybe there were other ones too, but... Um, yeah. Well, there hasn't been all that many, because Rand doesn't look the same. Right. Yeah. So, it's inconsistent, but it's kind of cool when they do do that. I mean, especially when they threw him in there uh, as a right. total throwaway. I mean, if you didn't if you didn't remember the name or remember the face, which how could you not, you'd have no clue. Right. Right. Yeah, he's just, a ran- he's just another guy. Exactly. There. And, and, and uh, he really uh, turns uh, into just window dressing, because basically... He's in partnership with Spock and Kirk, and they're really doing all the talking. 
Which I find it funny. He's the lead prosecutor, yeah. and yet he... Just, oh, Kirk, Kirk and Spock are going to take care of it. Yeah. My co-counsels, who end up right. taking over the whole thing. <laughs> but I, I hope that they eventually do the court-martial episode, yeah. uh, you know, in the ongoing, mm-hmm. and, and bring back Coogly, this version of Coogly, and then you can have, you know, some interaction with, you know, Spock, Spock and Kirk have already worked with him in the right. past, and they should be, you know friends and then here Coogly has to actually be prosecuting against Kirk yeah. so that that would actually make that issue if they do it even yeah. better no. than just having him out coming out of nowhere right. so a lot of potential yes. there. so I'll, I'm going to be honest with you when I was reading this the first time back when it first uh-huh. came out when I finally when I got to that page where Kirk asks how are you, Khan? Because here's a picture uh-huh. of Khan and shows Ricardo Montalban. Right. I was grinning ear to ear. <laughs> I was so I want to know, that, too. <laughs> that not, they weren't even going to pretend like... They, they, they were actually going to address the number one question that everybody had in, that saw that movie. Exactly. The casting was a very odd decision. I think, uh, I think we all said that when we first heard he was going to be in it, Cumberbatch. And also that everybody theorized he was going to be Khan. Well, how could that be? Look at him. Right. So, yeah, that was, that's so. good that they're addressing it. And you've got to wonder about this, because they were first trying to get uh, a Spanish actor again. Uh, what was his name? Right. Uh, um, Benedict. Del- oh, Benedicio yeah, del-, del Toro, del Toro right? right. So they're trying to get him to do it at first, or at least at some point in time. And I guess he right. didn't have interest or had other commitments, whatever. He didn't end up going for it. Well, I think he got he he signed up to do the James Bond right. instead. Okay, well, so he had other work. Which he was fantastic in, by the way. That His villain in Skyfall, one of my favorite James Bond villains of all time. Yeah, he was a uh, quite an interestingly broken person. Anyway. Right. But... Uh, so anyway, but when so that made sense when they were trying to get him and very consistent with the con rumors. Uh, but then when they got uh, Cumberbatch, that was like great choice. I think haven't seen the movie yet, but he doesn't. What? How can he be? How can he be con anyway? Right, which then brought up all the questions. Okay, he's supposed to be Gary Mitchell. Oh, he's supposed to be you know Charlie X or whatever. Right. Oh, okay. Charlie X. Well, that- hmm. I don't know. What what was the other ones that they, they kept saying he was going to be? I don't... Gary Mitchell was the number one thing, that sure. aside from Khan, that I kept seeing yeah. him up. Well, he would make a good uh, Gary Seven, uh, as long as he didn't have the accent, English accent. Oh, Gary yeah. Seven? <laughs> Who, Who, by the way, is interestingly a... completely absent from all this, this story, but we'll we'll talk about that later. Oh, yeah, right, right. All right. So... Enough about back then, because I'm sure we've already talked about it. Right. So, so what do you think about him being a, um, you know, that they just kidnapped these little orphans and one of them being a legless con? Well, I thought it completely reminded me of Halo, but well, why don't you elaborate on that? Since uh, some not everybody have played the games and read the books. Uh, well, in a nutshell, they did the same thing in Halo. So, making Spartans, they found kids that were exceptional kids mentally uh they found the best people they could and then they kidnapped them 
and replace the kids with uh, basically kind of like uh, clones. Uh, Not kind of clones. They were flash-grown clones. Okay, fine, 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 fine. They were aged fast so that they would... Yeah. They had a whole bunch of defects. So they purposely replaced somebody's kid with a copy, but that was going to die within the next couple months. Exactly. So anyway, that's where they got them, and then they made them into Spartans. And I'm not going to go into details how they do that, so... Right. No, no, that's fine. That's all... That's that's, the main point. I wanted to make that... Yeah. I wanted to make that same... They stole the kids. Now... And they genetic... And they genetically modify them, like they, they're stealing these kids and genetically mod- modifying exactly. them. Exactly. Now, the thing about this one is there doesn't seem to be much of a selection process. I mean, they end up taking a whole bunch of kids that happen to live in the same neighborhood. So they weren't too picky in this one. Cause, so apparently they were very confident of what they could do with, uh, with their technology to the kids. Right. And they happen to, get, they happen to get lucky with Khan, uh, or Noonien, yeah, I should say. Yeah. So I did think it was odd that he was legless or missing one yes. leg. That was not expecting that. Was not expecting no. that. I I didn't put it in the synopsis, but the the bully that comes over there and tries to take his cane, they you kind of think that maybe he's Khan, right? You know, and then they, you know that Khan is the biggest of them all, right. and he's picking on you know, this poor little kid who who can't really defend himself. And then when that kid starts wailing on him, you're like, oh no, that's oh yeah. Him. But because he came from a more modest origins, maybe that's what tempered him to some degree, as we will see in the in the forthcoming issues. He's still incredibly driven and everything, but there's a little bit of there's a little bit of characteristics to him that is obviously different from the other kids, and maybe part of that is the fact that he was such a downtrodden, legless kid as a when he was a kid. Right. So uh, I, I thought that was unexpected. Um, and then when they grew the leg back, it was like, uh, they grew the leg back. Uh, but, but that definitely is something with the, uh, J.J. Abrams reboot, because I don't remember there being any evidence that the original Khan from Taz had the ability to regrow things or regenerate things. They were just incredibly smart and incredibly strong. Right. Yeah. So no, they, they upped it. Yeah. Cause you had to bring Kirk back, didn't you? Right, you had to have the super blood to bring back. <laughs> exactly. Which, uh, along with the transwarp beaming, uh, you should be able to have nobody die from now on, and you don't need ships. So, exactly. If you really, if you really let things play out with with the tech, the things that that came into being in this reboot universe. Anyway. <laughs> right. So I love the term ethically adventurous. What a wonderful euphemism. Never heard that one before. Uh, ethically who says that again? adventurous. Uh, oh, oh, ethically yeah, adventurous. Ethically okay, adventurous. Gotcha. Love that. Yeah, well, stealing kids and training your own army of super... Super people. Superman would super do Super yeah. soldiers for hire. Right. So how'd you like the possibility of Khan being able to dig his way down through the foundation of a building and then for at least hundreds of feet, if not miles, uh, through sand, like a dune sandworm, and then pop his way out 
apparently a distance from the uh, building, from the compound. I did not care for that. Uh, not one bit. I don't care how good he is. <laughs> Come on! Where, how do you breathe? Right. Uh. Right, and, yeah, and the sand would have, I mean, if the sand really was this loose, then it would have fallen in after him. Yeah, right. So, uh, exactly. It, it, it was ridiculous. Yeah. And he's very, very far from the from the right. building. When he you know, when he actually emerges, he looks back at the building, and it's pretty far away. Right. Yeah, I didn't care for that, and I didn't care for the scene right before it when he's at the in the hospital and he's typing away on the computer. He's logging in as Hesse, as Doctor Hessen, Hessen, uh-huh. or whatever his name is, but it doesn't say what he's doing. Is he looking up information on the 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 brain scan? The well, he doesn't even know about it at that point. Well, maybe he maybe he is just trying to learn about Hessen and see what he can find. Maybe because know your enemy. He, yeah, well, he doesn't do much with it. All he does is later he finds out that he has that thing in his head, neural inhibitor in his head, and then he finds a way to scoop them all out. Yeah. Well, okay, I'm, this is a bit of a, a reach, but what if he found out about the neural uh, what you call it? What if he found out a lot of stuff once he got into that uh, into there? And he like like the doctor says later, there he's testing us. Right, so maybe, maybe he wanted to force him to. Uh, to try it so he knew how the thing worked. I don't know. Well, that's, that's, the best ex- ex- that's the best explanation I could come up with, yeah. too. Anyway. Anyways. A nice, a nice kickoff. So this, is, this did not have a title that I could find anywhere, this issue. So no. I just called it, uh, you know, Origin. Because you know, this really is his origin story. This, this is his origin That's story. right. Yeah. All right. You're not going to talk about the guns that the guards have on uh, page uh, one? Only that they are yet another design. I, I don't recognize that design. Well, they look like the Taz phaser just kind of flipped, flipped around and much, much larger. Yeah, look at it. Think of the original, uh, is it phase two or whatever? What do you call them? Phaser type The larger two? ones? Well, larger. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, type one is the little one. Yeah, it fits in the palm and of your hand. Type two is, is the type two one. is the so It one. looks like a. It looks like a, a, a type two. Type two, but flipped around, so that what normally would be pointing towards you is actually the nozzle of some sort. Oh, it looks just like it. Oh, it's I didn't bigger. see that. And then, then the the actual silver emitter at the very tip is not there. Yeah. Okay, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. It, lo- it looks cool, but the the handles kind of pointed the wrong direction. Exactly. It, like it would be kind of uncomfortable to point that right at somebody. And you and you can't possibly say, "Oh, you got to flip it around to actually fire it." That would be ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, because you don't carry them like that. Exactly. You know that is a very good point. Didn't I see think it that you way. Of all people, I thought would I didn't that. see it that way, Donovan. I will say that I continue. I mean. In this modern age, there's an amazing variety of guns. So I suppose I shouldn't be surprised, but they're frequently showing just an incredible random <laughs> collection of uh, phaser types in these books. Right. But it's like, why should it be standardized? I mean, why not? Why shouldn't there be multiple designs? Okay, fine. 
there is today. I mean, anyway. Exactly. All right, that was my last comment. You have anything else? Um, I think that is it for me. Um, yes. Yeah, that's it. Let's go to the next one. All right. Oh, Let's find out what happens next. Now that they're released. Okay, issue number two. Uh, there is no title again, so I will call it World Domination Achieved. A bit of a spoiler title, but... Published date, November 2013. You, know, you knew it was going to happen, so it's not bad. Writer, Mike Johnson. Story consultant, consultant Roberto Orki. Artists for the present day, Dave Messina. Pencils for the flashbacks, Claudia Balboni. Inker for the flashbacks, Maria Castelvitro, with supervision by Claudia Balboni. Colors by Claudia Scarlet Gothica, which, quite frankly, I, that does not sound like a real name to me. Lettering by Neil Yutaki. Editor, Sarah Gaidos. The primary cover is dominated by Benedict Cumberbach's head, looking back at the reader. A smaller full-length shot is on the bottom right, with the hero-style black overcoat blowing in the wind. Fiery destruction is behind him. Paul Shipper created the cover. Cover B is a photo of the upper head and torso of Cumberbach, somewhere in the Enterprise. Perhaps in the brig, but it's hard to tell exactly. For some reason, I decided... For some reason, I decided to get the photo cover. So, don't know why I did it, but I did. And so I got this one which I don't normally get the photo covers, but I got it for some reason. The retailer incentive cover is by Derek Charm, and it's a black-and-white sketch of Khan taking his place in front of past rulers of the world. Alexander the Great I kind of recognize, and then some others that I didn't recognize. The fourth cover is called a sketch cover, which is really just a blank white paper, except for the uh, comic title and the IDW name and the price and the issue and that kind of stuff at the top. So, i never seen that before. I mean, are you supposed to actually sketch in your own cover? I don't know. It's weird. They, they, quite a few comic book companies did that in last uh-huh. year. Okay. Um, and I don't know why. Yeah. I, I, at conventions, I've seen people take these covers to artists, uh-huh. and then, then the artist will sketch something out for the cover. But DC did it. Um IDW did it, so it, it was it was a thing there for a while. Very interesting. Because any kind of sketch I could come up with would be poor and would probably ruin the comic. Okay. <laughs> and how often do you actually, I mean, except at a, a convention or something, do you actually come into contact with, with a true comic book artist? Anyway. Interesting. Issue 2 picks up where Issue 1 left off with Khan's trial in progress. Kirk is questioning Khan's origin story from the last issue. Why should we believe a word you say, Kirk says. Khan asks Kirk what part of his story does he find particularly hard to believe. The fact that free enterprise invested the capital needed to, for science to turn children into killing machines. The fact that they were to be rented out to the highest bidders. That the children would rebel against their captors. Khan maintains it's the truth. In multiple locations around the globe, these thousands of these physical and intellectually superior children were raised to be the perfect soldiers, but also their intellect went far beyond finding new and interesting ways to efficiently kill people. 
they developed technologies far beyond what normal humans were able to create up to that point in time. Each of these sites rebelled against their teacher captors and found each other to form a much larger group, a group that in time started making their own plans to create a new future, a new destiny, while the world slept in ignorance of their presence. A period of infiltration took place in the most sensitive of organizations like NORAD, but also in more humble places. Where influence and leverage could be gained, the sons of Dr. Hessen were making preparations to strike. Noonien himself worked his way up to a lieutenant in the India National Air Command. One day he arrived at work on a restricted missile base and entered a few codes. A malfunction flashed on the monitor, which gave Noonien a reason to enter a computer control room where a small chip could be planted in just the right junction. Back in the present, Khan claimed they were taking over the world not only for their own ambitions, but also to save mankind. They had such destructive toys, but nary the intelligence to keep them safe. Noonien and his fellows split up the world into seven regions of control and elected a leader from each region. They all made up a central ruling council in addition to controlling their own regions. One day all regions were ready. The ascension protocols were being voted on for the final time. All agreed save for John Erickson, the ruler of Europe who proposed detonation of one nuclear bomb in a population center of each region. As a demonstration of power, they should be able to cement their takeover. Noonien objected. He wanted to save infrastructure they may need, and senseless loss of life may lead to rebellion. The council voted and decided to just bomb Moscow and Washington, D.C., the capitals of the two countries with the largest militaries. Their obliteration would leave no room for doubt that things had indeed changed. The destruction of the two cities ushered out the old world and brought in the new order on September 17, 1992. Where the hell is Gary Seven when you need him? As the leaders of the other countries are monitoring feeds to find out the fate of DC and Moscow, Noonien's video feed cuts into all broadcasts. He announces, we are the new rulers of the world. His message goes on to say, they are everywhere, seated throughout the world, throughout governments. Noonien offers peace and a secure future, or war and death, if their rule is rejected. The world of normals chose war, of course. Singh's people began with executions of all the leaders they could get to. After that, they attacked population centers, and destroyed much. Their quick and endless victories cemented in their minds how truly superior they were. In the time they had to prepare in the shadows, they built armed blimps of war. They took out airfields, weapons, and seats of government. In three weeks, they assumed control of 40 of the most advanced countries in the world. The rest would fall soon enough. Khan's last country to defeat was India, his homeland. He offered the last of that country's military to surrender and fight for him with honor. They refused, and single-handedly, Noonien defeated an entire unclear number of soldiers. The number was unbelievably high, though. Noonien killed hundreds that day, and when he was done, 
spattered with blood, and full of victory, and oddly enough, calm, he took a new name. An ancient title of power that would rule over the new geopolitical entities of United Africa, Central Asia Union, East Asian Union, Australia, South American Union, and the North American Coalition. With a turban made from his bloody shirt on his head, and with his pecs and abs flexing, he announces, I am gone! To be continued. So he's Khan. He is Khan now. Khan Noonien Singh. So he just took over Central Asian Union. Right. right. That's yeah. his right. territory. Yep. That's his right. territory. So there are leaders in each of those other seven new mega countries, if you want to call it. Right. And they are big. And one I, thing I do like about the comic, they have some cool maps to kind of cement in your mind where all this stuff is, which I really liked. Right. In fact, earlier in the issue, they showed a picture of the world, a map of the world, the way it is, well, now. You know, the kind of map you'd expect to see. Um, United States, Canada, etc. Uh, and then later in the issue, they show the new map. Laid out pretty much the same way, but of course with all the new, uh, all the new political entities in place, the, uh, the super people entities in place. And I thought that was great, great artwork and great use of the maps. Right. Yeah. Agreed. The first map kind of looked like it had terrain and stuff on it. it. It looked like a contemporary map. The second map really reminded me of a risk map. <laughs> Anybody who's played Risk knows what it looks like, which looks just like the Earth. But as you, you know, especially if you're playing it on the computer or whatever, if you, once your your color takes over a certain area, it becomes all that color. Right. So here it looked like a, somebody was playing Risk, and you know, the blue team got the North America, the purple team got South America. So it was just it was just kind of weird how it was laid out, and you know, and, and using your Risk brain, you're like, oh well, you know, he's not going to get the double. Uh, <laughs> The double points for that continent because he hasn't taken over green. <laughs> so we need to go ahead and move in there. Exactly. Fortify that. Change the color. Uh, so. <laughs> and if you think about it, that's really what they were doing. They were taking over the world as if they were playing a uh, Parker Brothers game. Exactly. Yeah. With much more blood, exactly. though. And as we find out on the next issue, it's... Um... <laughs> it really is like playing a game. And they don't know when to stop. Right. So, uh, did you find it odd at all that at the end of the issue there is a scene uh, with one of the supermen in the Oval Office? Right. Did you find anything odd about that? Um, the camera? I don't know. But... Wasn't DC nuked earlier in the book? Oh, yeah, good point. So, I mean... I would think that if you nuked D.C., <laughs> you'd probably take out the White House. But, eh. Uh, good point. Maybe it was reinforced. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's the Oval Office 2 that they build somewhere else. I, I don't know. Yeah, good point. But it does good look point. like there might be some broken glass uh, in the office. But really, if you drop it, if you drop it. I mean, the, yeah. They, he just killed somebody huh. there, so... It I makes it look like they, 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 they physically killed the president. That's what they make it look like. Right. And the right. flags are on the ground, the U.S. flags are on the ground, 
And but you know, it looks like pretty good wear for having a nuke dropped. But okay. Well, it's it's several years later, right? So, I mean, it's not like well, it was dropped earlier that well, day. I, okay, so they rebuilt. Okay, so you're saying they rebuilt the White House. I'm saying they might have rebuilt a Oval Office somewhere else. Hmm. Okay. For all I know, they have more than one <laughs> Oval Office just waiting. Well, I'm sure there's backup offices in an undisclosed secret location. I just doubt that they bothered making it Oval, but who knows? Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So I, I did think it was pretty bold that they did that um, destroyed the White House, or the Moscow and, and DC. Washington, yeah. D.C. That was pretty bold. Yeah, that's when I first realized, okay, this this eugenic war is going not going to be a secret one. This is going to be... No. Well, really, how do you take over 40 countries in secret? So right. You can't. Yeah, and the thing is, as all this was going on, and especially the whole thing about the uh, Greg Cox book, which covered the same territory, but differently. Um, right. I listened to that audio book many, many years ago. Probably did it on tape or something. That's how long ago it was. But I didn't remember a lot of details of it. So I went back and did find a wiki article that talked about the book. So it was good to, to read about that a bit. But yeah, this is really in your face. And some really amazing things happen in this period. And, and then I also went and listened to uh, uh, Space Seed. Or watched bits of it again. Just to see okay. what was going on. And especially the parts where they were Kirk and Spock are talking about what happened. Because there is a, a spot on, on, the, on the bridge where they're talking about what happened. And it's amazing how many details out of that conversation made it into this book. It's pretty cool. Right. But still, I mean, when they talked about it then, it was like, oh, they kind almost took over. It's like, okay. But then you see the details they present here, and it's like, oh, my Lord. <laughs> this, was, uh, this was some serious stuff. I mean, I thought the Third World War that ushered in the golden age of mankind and the Federation and everything, I thought that was bad, but this is pretty bad. Right. I was almost wondering if this was supposed to be the Third World War. Oh, really? War. I, but I don't know. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't make sense as far as when, um, you know, first contact, the, the back, the... You know, the flashback scenes in First Contact were supposed to... Right. I, I don't remember what year that was supposed to be, although I'm sure they mentioned that in the First Contact movie. I don't remember. But this is this took over. This took place over a while, right? So right. they were in power, as we'll see. They're, they're in power for a while. Right. So exactly knowing when Khan's period ends when he leaves Earth, it'd be interesting to know what year that was. And then supposedly when the Third World War happened. That would be interesting. Right. But in those Greg Cox books, Greg Cox Uh books, um, I don't remember there being a a nuclear war during the 90s. This whole idea of blowing up D.C. and Moscow, that wasn't in the Greg Cox book. Although, I'm pretty sure that the end of the first volume of that book, um, Gary Seven and uh, I I forgot his sidekick's name. Terry Gar, uh, Roberta. Roberta. That's it, Roberta. Okay, so uh, they were instrumental in blowing up, 
the facility in India that produced Khan. Right. So I, I th- there was some kind of nuclear reactor or something involved there. But that's I don't remember nuclear weapons being used later at all. Right. But as we'll see in the next book, m- more, that was those were not the only two nuclear weapons used during the eugenic No. War. So No, it's a, it's a free for all. So I, it was quite a bit different than what I remembered as far as those those two Greg Greg yeah. books, right? But anyways, um, yeah. When it when it shows these nuclear bombs, yes, going that off, was pretty cool art. Yeah, but is that's not realistic, right? I mean, oh, it's showing which, an orbital shot of Earth and and, and the, Moscow. Well, Moscow and, and the U.S. and the U.S. But it shows the. The mushroom cloud, you know, from... Oh, orbit. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah, that's artistic. Think... Uh, okay. Yeah, it's not going to be that big. Now, at least they... So they have two different panels, one above the other. And it's pretty cool looking. I, I like the artwork. And uh, right. and the mushroom cloud... Yeah. Al- it, it's, it's a drawn mushroom cloud, but it looks really good. It looks almost like kind of a little bit photorealistic, but it isn't... It, it's obviously drawn. Right. Well, the Earth looks photorealistic, too. Uh, it looks really good. I mean, they've got some swirling cloud patterns that look really nice in the uh, the second one. They have right. a little bit in the first panel, too, but it's really nice in the second one. So the U.S. one has a little cloud pattern off in the Atlantic where Moscow is blowing up. They have a really cool, big, uh, swirling cloud pattern. Big monsoon about to yeah, come over there. It looks almost like a hurricane or something. Yeah. yeah. Or typhoon, not monsoon. Excuse me. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, all very nice. Very nice. September seventeenth, nineteen ninety-two. A date to be remembered in infamy. Do you think it's funny that they said it's? I mean, you know, because we've had nine eleven. Do you think they picked oh, September nine seventeen kind of on purpose? Uh I don't know. I don't. I don't remember that specific date being mentioned in anything else. Although, right. who knows, maybe, mm, 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 no. So, for this book, I think they picked that date. Exact right. date. Uh, could be wrong. But, yeah, um, I guess September is just a really bad month. Right. Right. And, and I meant to mention it last issue, but it, it was cool when they showed the skyline, New York skyline of 1972. Yeah. And you can see the World Trade Center's towers being built. In one of those shots, did you notice that? Uh, in issue being one, being built. No, I did not notice that at all. Yeah, if you, it's it's when Hessen is having that meeting with those other three guys. You can see the New York skyline, and you can see the the twin towers under construction. Oh, cool! You can actually see the oh, little, okay. so little I steel found, girders and yeah, stuff. Yeah, January nineteen seventy two, and um, well, the twin towers are are there, and. Yeah, it's very pointy on top. So yeah, that that right. so that could be the construction. Cool. So, anyways, hmm, good point. That even knows. All right, and then maybe my last comment. Uh, I liked how Khan and the Superman were able to infiltrate these nuclear weapon facilities right. uh, in a very similar fashion than that that 
Khan used Mickey for in Star Trek in the mm-hmm. Darkness. You know, part of their clothing ends up being part of whatever they're trying to install into the system or the bomb or the you know the ring being the bomb right. in, in in the darkness. Right. I, I thought that was a nice little nod to his motives. <laughs> or this is that, that that was something that he already perfected, you yeah. know, hundreds of years ago. Yeah. So not motives, but modus operandi, some some of the things yeah. they they use and do. Right. Yep. Deceit and subterfuge where necessary as well as brute force. Both used in balance to achieve the ends. Anyway, very good second book. These were fast reads for me. So, uh, excellent excellent artwork. uh, Very engaging. Not perfect, mind you, but pretty doggone good. I'm enjoying them. Alright, anything else? Alright, let's jump into number three then. This came out December of 2013. Uh, written by Mike Johnson, story consultant Roberta Orkey. Pencils and inks for the present day is David Mencia. Pencils for the flashbacks is Claudia Balboni. Inks in the flashbacks is Maria Castelvetro with supervision by Claudia Balboni. Pencils in the flashbacks is Lucia Lamberti. Colors by Claudia Scarlet Gothica. Color assist by Valentina Kumo. And letters... Neil Yutaki, and edits by Sarah GLaDOS. So the cover for this one is a painting of Khan's face, Benedict Cumberbatch version of Khan. And we see the Botany Bay lifting off of a launching pad, uh, very similar to how the you know space shuttles go up. There is a photo cover, which that just shows Benedict Cumberbatch running down the streets, as we saw in Into Darkness. So the story starts with the court session still going on. Khan, Kirk, and Spock talk about the eugenic war. Khan laughs at the references to eugenic war, saying that they do not understand what they're talking about. And with that, the scene switches back to 1996. Noonien has taken on the name Khan, and his people, the people that he rules over in India, they love him. They're throwing big parties for him. As last issue was mentioned, the Superman have split Earth up into seven regions, and the leaders are basically able to rule however they want. So some rule as if they were ancient pharaohs. Others rule with iron hand, you know, tossing out nuclear bombs whenever they need to to keep their people in check. But Khan rules in order to keep the people safe and at peace, and for that they seem to respect him. Some time passes, and the leaders of the seven separate Territories start to fight amongst each other, taking over one another's territories, you know, much like a game of risk. Soon, many of them are completely conquered by others. Everyone seems to be leaving Khan alone, but eventually someone gets a little too greedy and uh, the Australian ruler starts to come in to attack. He and Khan actually meet face-to-face and fight hand-to-hand. Khan wins easily and thus takes over the Australians' land and countries. Sometime later, again, some of the humans, the normal humans, have discovered a way to target the supergenes with a very special virus. Only the augmented humans are affected. We see Khan's lover, who's also a superwoman, she becomes infected and dies. 
So seeing no other recourse, Khan has a ship built for them, and he plans to relocate them. So the Botany Bay is built, and as they're getting ready to launch, the normal humans are storming the facilities, taking over. So uh, the ship launches, they go into orbit, and Khan, with that last act, is able to save himself and his family, and they will sleep until they can find another better home. To be continued. Cool. So, a little trilogy to tell the Khan story in his first stay on Earth. Because there will be a later one. Right. Very cool. Now, at the beginning of this issue, there's some very good close-ups of Khan. As he is very stern-facedly getting the accolades of his people and stuff. And I gotta say... I don't think he looks like Ricardo Montalban. I think he, he actually looks a bit like a Negro gentleman. Uh, yeah, uh, he, he doesn't quite look like Ricardo Montalban. Now, that's the beginning of the issue. Things are quite different towards yep. the end. Right. So uh, that threw me off a little bit, um, but excellent artwork. No, it's good. Uh, and I mean, my only real complaint with the... And, and it's not the artwork, so I'll... I don't have any complaints with the artwork. Okay. I like it. Oh, okay. But, go ahead. Oh, I, I thought you were going to say something else. About something else that, uh, that made you, that grind, that grinded your gears or maybe was not, not that. Okay. Uh, as far as the artwork goes, and, because I don't have any complaints with right. the artwork, and I really don't have any complaints with the Botany Bay. Yeah. I thought that looked, it was a great merging of what space technology in the 90s would have been, you know, with the rockets and things like that, and what we saw in Taz with the with the actual shape of the Botany right. Bay. So it was kind of cool to see how the Botany Bay that we saw in this episode at one time had all these, you know... Booster rockets. Booster rockets yep. on it, and that's what allowed it to lift off and obtain orbit. I thought that was yeah, really that cool. Yeah, that was cool. And, and they still have the vaguely uh, submarine kind of look to it. And they show an early prototype of it at the beginning of the issue or near the beginning of the issue. So that was good that they had acknowledged that this is something that took a little while to develop. And, right. uh, and also mentioning the idea that the original idea of this was like maybe space travel, exploration or something, was the original idea for it, I believe it said. Yeah, I adapted nuclear power to more a- optimistic ends, and he talks about the... Uh, you know, the, the the early prototypes for spaceships. Right. Cool. Yeah, so what is it? If Earth became utterly uninhabitable, we would find a new home to call our own. Okay, so maybe not necessarily um, exploration, but as a backup plan in case all this nuclear fallout became too much. Yes, very cool. Very nice. So it was interesting how uh, Khan became the only, well, or he seems to be the only truly benevolent ruler of all the different seven regions. Right. So, you know, maybe for the most part, they just became tyrants. Uh, of course, some might, be, might have been worse than others. It seems like that, uh, that Ericsson guy who was in control over Europe, he seems like he might not have been as bad as some of the others. But in the end, interesting how most of them became just nasty, power-grubbing, you right. know, uh, 
total domination uh, rulers. Right, and I thought it was odd that the the woman who was the leader of you know southern South America, mm-hmm. I mean, she's sitting on this huge plush throne right. with with pyramids of gold behind bars her, behind her, <laughs> right, and. She's making all the men just wear loincloths and bow uh-huh. to her as if she was a you know a goddess or whatever. Right. So it's kind of weird that you're like if they if they were that advanced, do they also still have all the I don't know human frailties that you think that you deserve to be pampered like this? You know, because Khan's not like no. that. He's you know he's very pragmatic and which I guess is why he's the only one that the people like. Right, right. But in the end. When he was drawn into it by being attacked by Maltuvis, I guess was his name. Um, right. He got into it. He took over Australia, no problem. So right. if things would have been able to go on and that biological attacks not happened, then I'm not sure whether they were saying that Khan in the end was kind of drawn into it and he was going to become as bad as the rest or not. But that is a possible uh, thing that could have happened. Right. Well, I don't know if he would keep continuing to take over. I mean, he only took over that guy's country because he was he, attacked. He attacked yeah. him, right? Well, but well, yeah. But I'm kind of wondering if if the biological attack didn't happen, would Khan have, in the end, continued on and just taken them all over? Right. Yeah, because he took over India and the rest of his dominion pretty handily. So he he conquered a lot of people, killed a lot of people to satisfy his own ambitions, but also to say, you know, I'm smarter than you guys, and I can rule you better. So, in the end, why should he just stop there? If that's what he wanted to do, benevolent rule, well, why shouldn't he eventually want to do that for the entire world? Right. Right. It just would have been interesting to see how it would have played itself out if the uh, rebels didn't take him down. With their germs. With their germs, with their dirty germs. Yes. A little War of the Worlds there yeah. at the end. So him having that knife fight with the uh, Australian mm-hmm. leader, yeah. is that supposed to be the same guy that he had the knife fight with in issue one when he realized that they could regenerate and he purposely turned the knives on himself and stabbed I, him? I don't know that he is. Did he say something to indicate that? No. No, I'm just wondering why they're having a knife fight. Oh. Because it seems kind of ridiculous. <laughs> As opposed to a, a, a fist fight or just taking guns out and shooting at each other? Exactly. Right? The guns would be the most expeditious, but... But, but you know, I don't know. It's like in the second issue when Khan is, like, killing hundreds of guys all by himself. Hold it back. Hold back, troops. I'm going to take over... I'm going to take out this entire platoon or whoever, you know, whatever number of Indian... Uh, normals uh, soldiers were there it's like some of these guys yeah they just they just like to do things mano y mano man the tough way yeah and we didn't mention it last issue but he grabs two different people by the head so one hand on each person's forehead and he crushes their skulls he likes doing that one hand he likes doing that yeah i could buy two hands but one hand and it just shows them like popping like grips Overripe fruit. I shall pop your head like uh, a grip. Yeah, with one hand. That's that's yeah. impressive. Well, what? 
I think in the Taz episode or something like there's somewhere I read they were supposed to be five times as strong as a normal person. But whatever. Whenever whenever they quantify things like that, it just reminds me of comic books. Right. Oh, Spider Man is ten times the strength of a normal man, blah blah blah. Anyway. <laughs> it's uh they're obviously very strong. But uh yeah. So one handed skull popping does sound like it would take a lot of strength. Right. Skull popping in general takes a lot of strength, and that's my one of my biggest complaint as far as Walking Dead. I, I love that show. Oh, but but man, they're able to crush skulls way. Well, deep. yeah, but are they also? Is that because they're zombies who, uh, you know, their their bodies are decaying? And bones don't decay that well, fast. Yeah, I mean, it, I think I I think they're trying to say the bodies compromised and so it's easier right. at least that's the only thing that makes any sense uh, yeah they, right. they do pop them pretty easy and, and they in in very grotesque yeah. ways <laughs> and, and by the way at some point you're going to run out of people so i what i firmly believe that <laughs> the, the the way you get past the zombie apocalypse is just survive and eventually the zombies will just start dropping like flies but whatever all right there was no zombies no let's get back to it um i don't have any other comments do you i do so um yeah let's get to the let's get to the greg cox book okay um so the greg cox book had gary seven very very much in the story um in fact uh gary gary seven was instrumental and and roberta Instrumental in the first book, and it's a two-volume book, of uh, defeating the original makers of the uh, Superman. And then in the second mm-hmm. one, Gary, and I didn't remember this, but I should have, because it's pretty important. Gary monitored Khan and actually took a point at one, at one point to try to make him his successor. Right. So yep. uh, he was able to see a lot of the uh, little tricks uh, tech, advanced technologies that Gary Seven had, and in the end, he betrayed Roberta and Gary. So, very different story, and I find it interesting that this book has not chosen to go anywhere near that book. There is no Gary Seven, at least not so far, and I'm pretty sure he will not pop up in four and five. But who knows? No, he can't. It's already happened. No. So there, are, th- there is no. no Gary Seven in this book. So I think right. that was uh, interesting. And if Gary Seven did indeed exist in the reboot universe, maybe they've decided there's no Gary Seven in the reboot universe. Because if there was a Gary Seven in the reboot J.J. Abrams universe, he would have done something. <laughs> you know, if he was hanging around this time period. So right. I find it interesting, and I think they may have made the strategic decision that there is no Gary Seven in the reboot universe. What do you think about that theory? I don't know. I think maybe they, they might be holding off on... Gary Seven for the um, the movies. I could see them trying to do that. Okay, but uh, but what do you think about the theory that even if they did bring him in, that he wouldn't have been around Earth in the nineties, nineteen nineties, when all this supposedly happened? Yeah. Well, I mean, you would think that he would have done something right. here, something. Unless his mandate is more to observe, you know, 
you know, kind of like what Doctor Who has to do, observe but not get involved. So you're saying they would, that, they would change his mandate because that, be that was not his premise. premise, right? You know, in that uh, in that one episode. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, but but I mean, but if if things did get this bad, which I don't remember them getting this bad in the original story, Greg Cox. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so if they did get this bad, I mean, where was Gary Seven? Exactly. So that's why I say, uh, if they do bring him back, I think they're going to have to change him a bit and say he wasn't around here at this time period. Right. Or they could just not really acknowledge any of this in in the movies or anything. Yeah, many possibilities. But we will be there to call them on their blasphemy, depending upon how they handle it. Damn it! I also find it hard to believe that this could have happened, and then the events that we see in Voyager and maybe even Deep Space Nine, where they go back to the early 2000s, especially Voyager. Yeah. I mean, this could not have happened to America, and then, you know, a few years later, you know, that guy invents the super microchip and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this this really drives home that you got to kind of pick and choose your events because if this nucle- if if basically America, the whole East Coast has been blown up with nuclear bombs, or DC at uh, least, right? <clears throat> but I'm saying there's going to be fallout, and 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 it, it seemed like there was more than one, you know. Yeah. That, you know, the year 2000 would be completely different after that than it, it is kind of depicted in Voyager. So I don't know. It, it, it's tough, man. You gotta, you gotta balance. <sighs> yeah. Well, <laughs> and it's all made up. So and and this is all being written at different time period. You know, different time periods by different people. So right. continuity on something like this is always something that's challenging to get right. So, which is why I like the Greg Greg, Greg Cox books because I don't remember there being a nuclear war in his books. So you could have kind of bought that, yeah, some dictator took over a bunch of countries, you know, con. Right. But not necessarily, you know, devastating and dropping nuclear bombs on the capitals. Well, well I, I agree with that. Uh, I don't remember there being a lot of nuclear bombs going off in the Greg Cox books either. But Khan still took over. I, I don't remember the details of the exact number, but I think he took over a lot of countries. <laughs> I don't know whether it was 40 nations or not, but um, right. he took over a lot, and that was not all under the covers, right. even though there weren't nuclear bombs. And it, it actually, uh, maybe Greg Cox's ver I do agree with you that Greg Cox's version is a little bit less ex- is less extreme and a little bit easier to fit into the overall tapestry that the rest of the uh, franchise paints. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. So. But uh, okay. but the whole thing that that Gary was there and he was actually trying to turn Khan into his successor was really an interesting idea. But yeah, no, I thought yeah. that was good because it had it had Roberta old and she was getting too old to be his companion because right. in, in that in that book Gary hadn't aged; he was still the same way he was in the right. show, and she had aged and he was ready to 
replace her with Khan, yeah. which I thought was really right. cool. And the I, but the, there are other things that are not as good. I like how they did the uh, the Botany Bay, the the DY one hundred in this in this book, as right. opposed to what they did in the Greg Cox story, which is uh, so basically Gary stole the ship. <laughs> oh, that's from right. Area fifty one. So it was like, oh, I don't remember the exact details of how that went, but, oh, really? Wow. That doesn't sound like the right. best idea in the world. <laughs> so Gary, Gary stole it, and, and he was able to convince Khan to get all the people on yeah. it, right? Yeah, that's right. Because Gary, Gary's like, Gary doesn't kill people if he doesn't have to. So... Right. Like another time-traveling person. Exactly, that doesn't use a gun and... Has handy little pen-shaped things that he uses. All right, yeah, that would have been. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, um, very very interesting the different takes, and uh, this one is a very good one, and it fits nicely in three issues. Right. So then the next two issues we'll get to see him being thought out by Marcus, as opposed to being thought out by Kirk. Kirk. Exactly. And how things go different. Oh, very different. I doubt he ends up on SETI Alpha 5. Yeah, well, yeah, that happens later anyway. I know, I was kidding. <laughs> well, he ends up back in the deep freeze, right? So, so they don't show it here. Matter of fact, they don't show the end of the, of the trial yet. Well, I guess they're not going to show any... Yeah. Got two okay. more so we're gonna see what happens, but obviously we know what what the end, the outcome of the trial was. Uh, you know, they put him back in the deep freeze with all his his, his family. family exactly, and then put him in that that Indiana Jones room, right? Big, Area fifty one, uh, Indiana Jones style. <laughs> exactly, huge huge room with boxes and yes. Uh, I'm looking right, forward to else? seeing the details, reading the details. No, that's it. Right. That's it for this one. Okay. Well, then... Oh, uh, actually, as one we... last thing. Oh, go ahead. I find it interesting that they have Cumberbach plastered all across these issues when it's really Khan as, as um, more like Ricardo Montalban who is really in most of these issues. Right. So, now, I'm sure that's all for marketing purposes, but I, I think it would have been interesting to see... Uh, Ricardo Montalban's face somewhere on the cover. Right. Would have been nice, but, uh, you know, as we've seen with all the ongoing, they really just want to show the new stuff. Well, it, they want to do the marketing thing. So, and, right. and Cumberbach obviously is a hot property right now, and the movie, you know, that's the mode people are in. Plus, Ricardo already had his five part miniseries. Khan ruling in hell, but yeah, which this I haven't is read yet. A rain in hell, which I have not read yet. Yeah, I was wondering when we should do that. Should we do it right after this, or uh, no, not right after it? But I think we should come back to it in the not too distant future. Yeah, I think that'd be cool. I think that'd be yeah. a little bit more entertaining than uh, another gold key, unless we do it somehow differently. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, we need we need to do something with those gold keys. They're still sitting yeah, there. We're gonna have to do those eventually. Okay. All right. Well, next week we'll do four and five of this mini series. Plus, are we gonna do the plus or no? Let's do the plus. 
Okay. So we're going to do four and five of this mini-series next week, plus we're going to do ongoing number 29, which starts off the... Gender uh, bending. Gender swapping episodes. Exactly. Gender swapping episodes. So there's two issues that do that, right? Right. 29 and okay. 30. So we'll do 29 next week, and then we'll follow up the following week to see, with the next three, to see what happens in the second half of that gender switching right. story so, arc. So, right. And 31 and 32 is, I haven't read them yet, but a sentient enterprise. Oh, yeah. Okay. Can't wait. Can't. I, Okay, we'll see how they do it. <laughs> and then uh, with episode 166, maybe we'll get around to doing some gold key. But let's just uh, put that on the maybe burner. Exactly. Yeah, the uh, sentient enterprise. So they're so they're basically going to be redoing that that Taz episode, the ultimate computer kind of sort of. Oh yeah, good point. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, wasn't that the name of the title? The title of the Something like it was that. something like that. So, what back when the Enterprise had installed some super, super duper computer that could run the ship better in battle situations, right? Right. No, no. Uh, you know what? Now that you mentioned that, that sounds more plausible. Right. I was just, I was just worst case scenario. Somehow the machine became sentient. Yeah. You know, Skynet style. I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. Right. Okay. Well, we'll find out. All right. Cool. Well, we'll find out. All right. So until then, take care, everybody, and we'll talk to you. Yeah, next thanks week. for joining us, everybody, on the review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic second name Book Review See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review